close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun is set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 28, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm great. Uh, I mean, my cold seems to have come back for round two, but it's oh, only no. affecting my chest and lungs, so that's an improvement. Oh, man, that sucks. Well, yeah, you, you don't sound as bad as you did last time. No, no, and I mean, it was awful last time. Um, basically, two whole weeks of feeling like I'm moving through water, and now I just feel like I'm breathing underwater, so oh, definitely oh. an improvement. Oh, bonus. That's great. <laughs> and then, of course, you were on that vast array of cold medication, too, which couldn't have helped your cognitive abilities. No, but I, I slept well. Yeah, but there's got to be an easier way to get there. In fact, you know what I do? I smoke a joint, and then I lay on the couch, and I watch Sicario. What is it with you in that movie? You're the only person in the world who could fall asleep during an ultraviolet movie about drug cartels. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this. I probably did, but the first time I saw it, it was at the Arclight on Sunset Boulevard, and afterwards, I had one hell of an anxiety attack out on the street. <laughs> and yet, you've seen this movie how many times? Oh, a lot. <laughs> and didn't you tell me you had an anxiety attack during another movie? Yes. Yeah, that was uh, There Will Be Blood. Ah. Yeah, the soundtrack was intense, and I'd had a monster energy drink beforehand. It was, it was the whole thing. I, I don't go anywhere near energy drinks anymore. Good. We are way too old for that. Don't tell me about and, it. <laughs> and now you just do drugs and doze off to the end of Western Civilization. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you've described my nights fairly adequately. I don't know, man. There's something about the way they shoot the desert in that movie. I, I can't quite explain it. It's, it's like they somehow managed to hint at the idea of hidden currents in the world directing things in a way we can feel but not quite see, which I, I guess is relevant to my interests. No, I get that. And well, speaking of horror in the desert, <laughs> why don't we tell everyone what tonight's show is all about? Yes. On this episode, we're going to be looking at Australia, which mm -hmm. I absolutely knew lots about before we started. <laughs> it's the land of Mad Max, where uh -huh. gangs of box jellyfish roam the streets and racist spiders control the government with an iron <laughs> You didn't know anything about Australia before this, did you? <laughs> no. No, I did not. Literally everything I knew about Australia came from that one episode of The Simpsons where Bart, pardon me, where Bart pranks our prime minister, uh, the movie Wolf Creek, and some things I made up to disguise my ignorance. You thought the spider thing would disguise your ignorance? <laughs> I thought that one might have been true, so that was kind of a Hail Mary. No, it's not right <laughs> at all. But there is a lot going on there. Like, it is, a, I mean, it's, it's the only country that's a continent, right? Because it is so enormous. It's fluffing. <laughs> it just trims so it looks big. No, 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 no. Because Australia is such an enormous country, on this episode we're going to be focusing on the state of Western Australia and the strange activity it's known for. Our musical guest on this episode is the L.A. indie band Point Doom, whose brand new single, Color of a Mirror, just dropped on February 18th. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dive right into the hauntings of Western Australia. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Welcome back. Like we said before the break, on this episode, we're going to be taking a look at some of the paranormal happenings of Western Australia. And I've never been to Australia, but it's one of those places I've always thought about going. Yeah, me too. I, I think it would be pretty cool. I mean, years ago when I was backpacking, I read Bill Bryson's In a Sunburned Country and Howard Jacobson's In the Land of Oz. And they both sort of put a hook in me, but it takes so goddamn long to get there. Yeah. I figured I'd want to go for a long time, and I haven't done a really long trip like that since probably 2008, 2009. Yeah. Well, Bill Bryson is one of my all-time favorite authors. Oh, really? I've read all of his books. Oh, no way. I love his stuff, and the Australian one, the same thing. It made me want to go and check it out, and and he has just the quirkiest, weirdest shit in his books. I love (laughs) it. But it's something like a 17-hour flight from Vancouver, isn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, and I've done about that length to Asia. really? Yeah, and it was hell. Growing up, we would fly to England all the time, fly back home, right? right? And that's eight hours. So I was okay for the first eight hours. And then after that, I wanted to get off the plane. Yeah. And there was very little holding me on other than (laughs) air pressure and a seatbelt and an angry stewardess. But I was just done. I was like, okay, we're done. I'm off. Well, yeah, because you do the flight you're used to. And then you do it again. Exactly. And then you have another hour. Exactly. Oh. It was awful. And the worst part was my overhead light wasn't working, so I couldn't read. Uh, the mo- my movie screen, TV screen wasn't working, and I had a very loud, I think possibly somewhat mentally handicapped Japanese person in front of me who was watching something on a loop, and he would laugh just as hard and as loud <laughs> every time it got to the funny parts. So I was about ready to gouge out my own eyes. It's the first time I've ever really considered becoming an alcoholic. <laughs> Just out of pure self-defense. <laughs> just choosing it. It was awful. Oh, Awful, no. awful, awful. It's just really long. And and the only thing I wanted to do was sleep, but I don't sleep on airplanes. No, so same here. what am I going to do? The last time I got any real sleep on a plane was March 2008, uh, when I flew to England, actually, to see Nick. Right. Uh, my seat was the only full one in a row. This is back when they used to have wow. m- many flights before yes. the financial crash. Yes. So my seat was the only full one in a whole row, whole row. So I actually was able to lay down on my side and pass out. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Yeah, that that would be really nice. It was magic. Yeah. I mean, I only slept for an hour because f*** me, but still, <laughs> maybe one day. Part of me wants to be a stupid rich billionaire so I can afford one of those lay-down seats. Yes, I've seen those. On the Qantas planes? Yeah. <gasps> you get like a sleep pod. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I think it was at Singapore Airlines, too, has the... You actually get like a whole room. And I would drug myself for that kind of experience. <laughs> like I would like guzzle some coating cop syrup or something just for, to pass out. Forget that. If I, if I had a whole f***ing cabin to myself, I'd be wandering around in the nude. I'd be... <laughs> Oh. They're not that large. I don't care. So West Australia. Right. Yeah. We're, that's uh, we're, we're talking, talking about Australia. Not planes. Uh, West, West Austra- Western Australia is the largest of the Australian states. It's basically the Western third of the whole continent. It is. Yeah. And you know, I didn't know they had states. What did you think? They had like fiefdoms or walled off fortresses? <laughs> and hills? Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I don't know. They're technically under the monarchy. So I assume they had provinces like Canada. And I-, I Never really gave it much thought, if I'm honest. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're tucked away down there at the bottom of the map, man. It, it, <laughs> if they were really important, they'd be more prominently displayed. So I figure it's not worth my time. <laughs> yeah, because that's how that works. Yeah. Have you ever seen a South Up map? I have not. Well, they're maps with the, the Southern Hemisphere at the top and the North at the bottom. We live on a globe, so technically either orientation works. And there was at least one study done about how north-south maps produce a kind of prejudice against the south. Because the south is dirty and poor. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you for proving my point. For some reason, people looking at a north-up maps perceive the north as being higher, richer, more refined, all that stuff. As is well and true and good. But if they look at a south map, that all goes away. North power. 
Oh, my Lord. <laughs> no. There was an Australian guy named Stuart MacArthur who published a South Up map in 1979, specifically because he wanted to push back against the idea of Australia being, quote, down under, end quote, and lesser because of it. So he put Australia on top. Nice try, Jock. No one was fooled. You are down under. You will always be down under. But I appreciate that they're a feisty people. <laughs> they are feisty. They are. Australia, I crown you power bottom. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> you were talking about Western Australia. Yes. Uh, it's the largest of the states, basically a third of the continent, and most of it is a desert hellscape, essentially. There's yes. just nothing there, um, except for the southwest and this little bit in the far north called the Kimberley, which sounds very nice. It's a good name. A good place to go. Uh, we're never going to talk about it again. <laughs> um, and the first story we found was from a rural pub somewhere in that hellscape. It was, yeah. So the witness, who we'll call Julie, didn't specify exactly where it was, but she said the pub was built in 1900 and partially burned down some years later, though by the time she worked there it had been rebuilt and expanded. Hasn't everything burnt down at least once in Australia? I would assume so. <laughs> Good God. Everything's built on, as we'll discover, everything's built on dead bodies. Yeah, pretty And much. has been damaged by floods or fire one time or another. Yeah. It should be said, of course, no one was harmed in that fire, so I mean that rules out the lazy explanation for what would eventually happen. Right. So Julie enjoyed working at the pub. The owners were friendly, and despite the kind of high turnover you get in a tourist town, the other employees were generally great too. The pub offered staff quarters upstairs for the itinerant employees, and that's where Julie's problems started. And by, by what started, I mean the second floor. So the pub's office was also up there, and whenever Julie had to go up there, she felt this incredible surge of emotion. How so? Basically, whenever she walked into the office, whatever it was would cause her to break down and cry. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. That's not great. And the, the really strange thing about it is that no one ever questioned it. Like hmm. there was this unspoken understanding about what was going on. Right. I mean, that's strange, but it's, it's not the story she wanted to tell. The story she wanted to tell was about the scream. And the pub chef at the time of the story was an Australian. Um, no one's perfect. Uh, <laughs> but he wasn't from the area. <laughs> and so during his three-month stint cooking there, he stayed in one of the upstairs room. He and Julie's husband became friends. And on the night of the scream, they were drinking in the chef's room after a shift ended. Uh, last call had been at midnight, and all the customers had filed out over the next hour. So that by 1 a.m., most of the staff were outside having a smoke except for Julie, who was two months pregnant, who decided to stay inside with someone else and clean glasses. Right. Um, all of a sudden, her husband and the chef came just bashing down the stairs at top speed. They said they'd heard Julie scream. And at first, the two women thought they were kidding uh, because neither of them had heard anything. But they, they saw the two men were dead serious. Hmm. So they, they calmed down once they realized everything was okay, but they were certain about what they'd heard. So Julie and the other barmaid finished closing up, and all four went to go join the other employees outside in the beer garden. Two minutes, no, I should say rather, not even two minutes later, all of them heard the scream from inside the building. It was ear piercing and it sounded like Julie. But Julie was outside of everyone else. Yeah. Oh, wow. So what did they do? Well, the men went inside to check it out and found nothing. Uh, the windows and doors were all locked. There wasn't a single person inside who hadn't been accounted for. Or sorry, rather, there wasn't a single person inside. And to top it off, when they came back outside, two of the men were crying, but they couldn't say why. Whoa. And did it ever happen again? Not while Julie worked there, she says. Hmm. Um, she said her memory of the places were all positive, except for that night and the weird sadness she would get upstairs. That's weird, eh? I mean, it must have been a pretty powerful energy to elicit the emotions and cause the auditory stuff. Which, I, and I just have a hard time getting my head around it, you know? Because, I mean, I've, I've heard of screams before, but not like that. No, I mean, I knew of one place where they would hear a gunshot. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, it was a friend of mine who was renting a farm. It was in Alberta. And once a month on the same date, they would hear a gun go off in the dooryard in the, you know, where you park your cars in the right. rural property. And this went on for months. And the first 
two or three times they rush outside to see whoa who's shooting up the who's shooting up as our you, farm. As you do, but it is Alberta. Um, oh. And uh, eventually they talked to the landlord who owned the farm, and he was now living in town in an apartment. He was the former farmer, and he he moved out. Um, and they talked to him and said, "Listen, this is really strange." And they didn't want to bring it up, really, but they did. Well, it turned out it had been one of the farmer's sons had committed suicide. Oh man! On that date. Brutal. on that farm in the dooryard and so that's what they were hearing they didn't hear human they never felt creepy there's literally nothing else that they were picking up on other than this gunshot once a month every month oh jesus yeah so i don't know i mean is that tied to the scream yeah who knows maybe it kind of reminds me of that scream on ben nevis i don't i don't think i know that one well, Ben Nevis is in the Scottish Highland. I'm pretty sure it's the tallest mountain in Britain. Okay. Uh, it's popular with climbers, <laughs> so I'm told. It'll never be <laughs> me going up there. Uh, I'm and, shocked. And two or three years ago, there were several, several of them scaling the mountain when they heard a scream. One of the witnesses wrote a short article about it for the BBC. He basically describes being mid-climb when he heard something. He said it started off muffled but grew into a series of what he called blood-curdling screams. The author said the screams were so full of pain and loss, he was certain, certain that someone had just watched a loved one fall from the mountain. Man, that is a horrible thought. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of what happened when I was in Vegas where that guy went over the edge. I told you about that, the Grand oh, Canyon. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah that, watched a man die at the Grand Canyon. I forgot about that. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it's not good. And especially so when you're hanging onto an ice wall by millimeters of steel. Yeah, of course. Um, the climber was suddenly reminded of how delicate his situation was, but there was no easy way down. So he kept going up and eventually his partner joined him. They discussed the screams and assumed they would find out more when they got to the top, but there was nobody there. There was no noise to indicate the sort of activity that would follow someone dropping. And when they finally got down to Fort William, which is the town at the bottom of Ben, right. they couldn't find anyone who knew anything about it. Eventually, other climbers came down the mountain with similar stories. They'd heard screams, and some of them had actually gone looking for the source, but no one knew where they'd come from. Everyone had been accounted for. Jesus. You know, come to think of it, actually, there was one more scream story that we found. In or, well, that, that Luke found. In Australia? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it did not, nothing to do with the thing that we were just talking about, which will be cut out so no one will understand, and that's okay. <laughs> it's best for both it's of us. If that, yeah, no yeah, kidding. Yeah. Uh, hey, let me see if I can find it here. Um, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, so it's from Claremont, which is a suburb of Perth. And for our listeners who don't know, Perth is the largest city in Western Australia and the fourth largest on the continent. Uh, the people who posted the story believed it was connected to a murder, mm. but I kind of suspect that was just an, a, a way to explain the phenomenon rather than being its source. And what was the phenomenon? Well, this supposedly happened sometime in the 90s. A couple living in the burbs started hearing blood-curdling screams from their backyard. Uh, whenever they went out to check on them, there was nothing. And it started happening regularly, but they could never pin down where it was coming from. Hmm. And then it just stopped. What I'm getting from this is there, there is a lot of screaming that happens in Australia. <laughs> yeah. Their national motto is Australia. Come see our horrors upon horrors. <laughs> Moving on. Um, about half an hour away from Perth is the city of Fremantle. And there are two things to know about Fremantle. It's a port city, and one of the first things anyone talks about is the historic prison. Which puts it a step above Victoria, because prisons and criminals are an essential part of Australia's story. Yeah. So at least when someone says, oh, well, here's our historic prison, <laughs> it's got some kind of authenticity to it. Here you ask someone, what makes Victoria, and they'll point out all the f***ing taco shops. <laughs> I actually have a great joke about Australian criminals. I doubt that it's great, but please continue. <laughs> 
So this gentleman is flying in from England. He's landed in Australia. Could be any city. I don't really care. It's not important to the joke. And uh, when he gets there, he um, uh, is going through security, and they're asking all the usual questions. Do you bring any fruits and vegetables? Do you have any firearms? And one of the questions they ask is, do you have a criminal record? And he looks at the man very dryly and says, oh, I'm sorry. I did not realize that was still a requirement for entry. Uh, <laughs> come on that's funny yeah that's one word at least the jokes i tell you can tell in mixed company <laughs> yeah that's true that's yeah. true i i can't do that no I'm forbidden from telling jokes if i'm out with with nikki pretty much yeah. at any kind of function with anyone of any age it's really. true right yeah. yeah yeah you had us over for breakfast and you said no jokes no <laughs> please don't no jokes <laughs> Well, now that that's out of the way, at least, <laughs> um, there's two more things to know about free Okay. Uh, the, and of course, this is grotesquely incongruent with what you just said, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> the first is that its original name, the original name of that area translates to the Place of Tears. Oh. Yeah, the, the Nunga people used to bury their dead in the sand dunes there and then start singing and mourning, and, and the idea was that the deceased could continue on their journey westward. So they built on top of the dead. Well, I can't say for sure, but they may have. And that might explain this fourth thing I've read about uh, Fremantle or Frio, which is some people feel as though the place has a sense of hiding about it, like something hmm. is being covered or concealed. One online article described it as feeling, just simply like feeling that there's something not right. Right. And there was, this was only a couple people and I didn't have time to verify that with a person I know who lives in Perth. Uh, so I mean, take it with a grain of salt, but being that Frio used to be a place of burial does kind of lend some credence to that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Victoria and Fremantle seem to have a lot in common then. We won't get into that right now. Um, Although, well, just before, we, just a little bit, because we were just at Burger King. Yes. Before we came in to record. Yes. And you were telling me that Burger King is built on a graveyard. Yeah, graveyard. it's the very first graveyard in for Fort Victoria. But the problem was because it was clay soil being so close to the water, every spring the bodies would burst to the surface. Oh, man. And then the dogs and pigs would go in and... Yeah. Oh. And so... And now with the Burger King there, that's the second worst thing that yeah. happened on that site. <laughs> because still the dead roam around, as we noticed <laughs> well, when we were in there. Yeah, or the, the soon-to-be dead. I keep waiting to get stabbed with a dirty needle when I'm in that place. I could see that. Victoria and Fremantle, yeah, they do seem to have a lot in common. But right now, we're just going to look up the stories from the old Fremantle prison. Yes. Also known as the Limestone Lodge, Fremantle Prison was built between 1851 and 1859 by, surprise, prisoners <laughs> who had been sent from England specifically for the purpose of building things. I can't help but to imagine at those poor people's trials where they're like, oh, you sold a loaf of bread? That'll be one pound in, you know, wait, what? You're a builder? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's off, off, the to, off to Australia with you. It was called the Limestone Lodge because it was made of limestone, and once it was built, those inmates were sent to work on other building projects. Prisoners is such an interesting word, though, because I feel like I feel like there's another word you could use here, something with an S. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, it's gross, and and in a lot of countries it's still happening, even actually down in the states. Yeah, um, prisons in the states make everything from office furniture for federal office buildings to some Starbucks packaging and dentures. Dentures. Yes. How does that even work? I don't know the specifics, um, <laughs> but it was a pilot program in Kansas I read about a few years ago. A small group of inmates were given a lot of specialized training to make dentures for low-income seniors. No kidding. Yeah. I knew about the whole blue jeans thing, but I didn't yeah. know about the dentures. Yeah. And I, and you know what? I know people get all hard for the idea of prisoners having to work for their keep. My grandmother used to get on like about that stuff. Yeah. But th these kinds of programs take jobs away from regular workers, and that pisses me off. Right. It's outsourcing to the North American equivalent of the Maquiadoras. It's grotesque. Mm-hmm. 
but anyways, I, I'm sure that was the least of Fremantle Prison's problems. <laughs> yeah, I think that, it, that was the least of them. Um, the prison was um, under use until the gold rush of the 1890s, and then suddenly it was a party. <laughs> New wings were built, the bakery was converted into a women's holding area, and shafts were sunk in the limestone bedrock to get at the aquifers. The water was so clean it became popular outside the prison, and eventually a kilometer's worth of tunnels were carved into the stone to make it easier to get at. Limestone is said to trap energy, so you'd expect to hear stories from those tunnels, but there was nothing definite. Most of it sounds a bit like Provelia syndrome, which right. is the phrase you coined, and I, I do so enjoy it. Actually, you, you coined that. Oh, good. Well, I'm smart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember now. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'll take credit for anything. Um, people thinking something is haunted because it would be cool, because it looks like it should be haunted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So w- where is the activity centered if it's not the tunnels? Well, the solitary confinement cells uh, seem to be the most active spot, which makes sense if you think about all the energy that would have been poured into those places over the years. The Perth Ghost Hunters went in a few years ago and came up empty, but another group put two pairs of women in the solitary wing, and each of them felt something in a cell that once housed a sex offender. The thing with, with stuff like that is I always think it's the expectation thing. If right. you know you're going into a sex offender's cell, right. you're going to feel a little bit, uh, you know. Yeah. You know, no, I get it. No. underneath the bunk. <laughs> <laughs> they did not know where they were going. All they knew was it belonged to a former inmate. The first of them felt warm pressure surrounding her. The second said it was like a steam cloud condensing on her. And the third said she just felt a feeling of cloudiness. Uh, what's some of the other things they reported in the prison? Uh, some people have reported nausea, a particularly heavy feeling in the pit of their stomach. And near the gallows, a woman who was visiting with her friend felt someone poke her in the side. Um, for a long time, she wrote that off to nerves until she learned that other women had experienced the exact same thing in that area. Hmm. Uh, a guard who used to work in the prison described the night he was alone in the block after lights out when he heard footsteps walking around the second story pathway. He waited in the guard room as the footsteps approached, but nothing ever passed him. He left his post to look for whoever was walking. Never found anybody there. As if working the night shift in a prison wasn't bad enough. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, a woman who used to run tours of the on-site cemetery says it's also very active. I know you and I disagree on the whole someone died here, therefore they haunt it thing. Yeah, except right. But there's a story here about a female convict that I think you'll find interesting. The last female inmate to be executed at Fremantle Prison was Martha Rendell in 1909. I'm not going to get into the full length and breadth of her crimes because she was a truly monstrous human being, but the short version is she killed her partner's three children in slow, excruciating ways. According to a woman named Jenny, Jenny Lee, who used to run the ghost stores at the prison, Martha went to her death humming and singing. No doubt because she knew there was a toasty seat waiting for her at Satan's right hand. You're not wrong. Uh, one time after the tours were finished, Jenny Lee was walking back from the graveyard, totally alone, when she heard humming. Oh, dun, dun. I know. She looked around to see where the sound had come from, but of course she was alone. Well, except for a purplish orb that she watched float from one side of the graveyard to the other before disappearing from sight. Huh. So she thought that was Martha Rendell because of the humming. She does. She is stupid. <laughs> Why? Why is she stupid? Mostly because I think it's a huge leap. And, yeah. and also because purplish orbs are something we've heard of before without having to be connected to Charlie Manson's soulmate. When was that? The L.A. episode, number 21, if you're keeping score at home. Uh, there was a woman walking with her husband in downtown L.A. and she saw a purplish orb floating in the middle of the street. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, was there anything else in the prison? Well, there was a team of paranormal investigators who claimed to have picked up an EVP which says, those are chains in front of a set of leg irons. So nothing interesting. <laughs> Not really. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that may be the most boring proof of life surviving physical death I've ever heard. 
<laughs> Wait, my mistake. That wasn't the prison. That was the art center. Well, I was going to do that next anyway, so it spares me one lame-ass story. So I guess next we'll talk about the Fremantle Arts Center. Sounds good to me. Arts Center makes it sound so harmless. You'd think, right? Yeah. But this place is massive. It's this huge stone building. It, it looks like it's about to be sieged by the Avengers. <laughs> and like most of Australia, it was built by slave labor. Sorry, convict labor. Con- yeah, there's a difference. No, not, not really. <laughs> Opening its doors. So it opened in, 1960, or in 1864, rather, as the Convict Establishment Fremantle Lunatic Asylum and Invalid Depot. Oh, good. Which God. would eventually shorten its name to Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name, though. I mean, it's very specific. Yeah, no, it really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Uh, so the Frio home for people white folks don't want to look at opened <laughs> in 1864 and basically became a dumping ground for anyone who had a problem that couldn't be fixed with imaginary bootstraps. <laughs> Mentally challenged people, prostitutes, alcoholics, and other addicts just all dumped in there. Right. And before we move on, I know this is probably a dumb question. Why did they look lock up prostitutes in a mental asylum? Because Australia was started by the same kind of lunatic prudes as America. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. They still lock people up for solicitation in the U.S. I mean, right. it's not any better here in Canada. Last I heard, they were talking about decriminalizing sex work, but making it illegal to solicit a sex worker. Which, right. Which, it's just stupid. <laughs> it's the world's oldest profession for a reason. Stop letting your hangups dictate the law. Go after human traffickers. Leave everyone else alone. Well, yeah. I mean, I have had friends who've left the sex work industry and not all of them had much of a choice well, about sure, being yeah, in it. Yeah. So while I agree there are definitely schematics and changes in the law that aren't really important, making sure the person being the sex worker is actually doing it of their own free will and is no way being coerced or controlled or, or whatever else is super important. But I agree uh, that people should just be able to do what they want. Really. Yeah, no, and I, but I think the problem is especially people, especially, um, you know, sex negative people and, and Christians, you know, I guess technically the same thing, <laughs> but they use human trafficking as an excuse to shut down all prostitution. Yes. You know, it's a slippery slope mentality where, well, we right. can't verify everyone, so we're going to, no, it's ludicrous. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's re- absolutely repugnant yeah. how people get on their high horse about this. I mean, every, every Super Bowl, there's that goddamn meme that goes around about how you know, watch your daughters because human trafficking goes up whenever a Super Bowl happens because of the prostitutes. It's not true. It's no. absolutely not true. Yeah. But people, because they just, they've got to have something to clutch their pearls about. <laughs> I mean, an old friend of mine is a sex worker over in Vancouver and she's not hurting anybody doing what she's doing. Yeah. She's chosen that particular line of work. She's apparently good at it, I'm told. <laughs> and as long as she pays taxes, I don't think anyone has any right to dictate to her what she does with her body. I love that you get hung up on the taxes. <laughs> well, teamwork makes the dream work, dude. Yeah, no, you know, Society depends on group involvement. It, and it, only idiots and the myopic think of taxation as theft. Yeah. A few, after a few years ago, I had coffee with this Filipino dude who called himself a libertarian. Oh, no. Right? Yeah. They're usually the most narcissistic oh. people. He, any kind of social contract he likened to literal rape. Oh, I wanted to rabbit punch him in his fat throat. <laughs> How are taxes different than rape then? People would pave roads and maintain infrastructure on their own. No, they wouldn't. No, I know. No, they absolutely they would not. No. Also, forcing people to have non-discriminatory hiring policies, also like rape. Oh, my God. Hey, I'm the one making logical points. You're the one with the emotional responses. I'll show you an emotional response, you chubby <laughs> mother <laughs> Jesus. All right, calm down. Yeah. calm down. Who was this guy? Funny enough, actually, he was looking for a co-host for his podcast. Oh. Yeah, I politely declined. Oh, wow. And three years later, I made the right choice. Yeah, yep. definitely. Yeah, don't question that. No. Uh, but anyways, moving away from that idiot, uh, during the 1890s, 
Gold Rush miners and Chinese laborers who suffered from sunstroke were also tossed in oh, Home Depot, um, <laughs> along with anyone caught smoking opium. Wow. And as you can probably imagine, this was not a comfortable place to be. Mm-mm. By the time anyone noticed patients were dying by suicide, disease, and stone-cold neglect, in 1900, there were a total of 219 patients in the asylum, with 17 Whoa. to 20 in one room. Wow. They really packed them in there. Oh, yeah. An official inquiry was held, and both a superintendent and trained mental health nurse were finally appointed. After 36 years of operating, what the hell have they been doing before this? Did they just have kangaroos in nurse outfits <laughs> kicking anyone in the throat <laughs> who would take their medicinal cocaine? That's right. I am finally want to stop being an asylum where cruelty was endemic. It became a woman's home where cruelty was endemic. <laughs> uh, because according to the Arts Center's own website, the third floor ward was where the women with VD was, were locked away to suffer. Oh, because again, lunatic prudes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So with all this history, exactly no one is surprised that the Frio Arts Center is haunted. It's crazy. (laughs) One woman, Shelley, remembers something she saw outside the center as a young girl. She saw a woman step into one of the upper floor windows and jump out. Oh my God. Yeah, but no one hit the ground. (sighs) Whoa. So whatever she was, was an echo or something else. She wasn't real the way we see it, but there have been people, or at least one person I've read about, who killed themselves that way at at the Frio Arts Center. Wow. Or when it was, you know, the Avengers Castle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Perth ghost hunters who struck out at the prison, they did well for themselves at the art center. Um, okay, sort of. I mean, they're the ones who got that bogus-ass EVP you were talking about. Right, right, but right. But they also got EVPs that were a little more interesting. Uh, on their way up a staircase where people have been pushed and felt cold spots, they heard an EVP say, cold winds, that's what's in this place. Wow, that's really specific and actually kind of poetic. It is, yeah. 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 Um, then, I mean, I haven't heard the EVP, so I'll believe it when I hear it, but yeah, right. it probably sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh it said my name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about the money. <laughs> uh, but at the top of the stairs, they walked right into a cold spot and they got another EVP, this time one that said, It's not cold. So even in the afterlife, there's still that one guy who has to prove how tough he is by pretending not to be affected by the temperature and the weather. God, I hate those people. I'm fine. No, you're demonstrably not. Your your breath is crystallizing the second it passes your lips. I can literally see the life draining from your eyes. Just put on a f***ing jacket, man. No, you guys are all pussies. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'd say let them die and they'll learn, but I guess not. No, I guess not. Just walking around the afterlife annoying everyone. Uh, so in that same staircase, some people claim to have seen a full-bodied apparition walking, or, or I guess floating, upstairs and also in pictures. Um, none of those pictures were online, of course, just no. like the EVPs, no. uh, but they swear they exist. Yeah. The most fully fleshed out experience was that of a group which included the noted Australian psychic Anthony Griselka. Oh. Uh, the team stayed overnight in the art center, and Griselka claims to have contacted three spirits, teenage sisters, who had in life been hidden away in the woman's home for what he felt were political rather than medical reasons. Mm, what does that mean? Uh, he's vague about it. Shock. <laughs> um, but I think the idea was that a politician locked them away because to have them out in the public would be bad for his image. Oh. But of course, according to Krizelka, the spirits told him about being sexually exploited while they were residents of the asylum. Right. Uh, reportedly, they led him to an area on the grounds, which he later learned was where the bathhouse once stood. But, uh, you know... Like, was any of this verified? Exactly. I mean, this all has a vaguely Zach Baggins ring to it, it doesn't does it? does it ever. <laughs> I sort of feel like it's an anagram, like if we rearrange the letters somehow, <laughs> it, was, it becomes Zach Baggins. <laughs> Probably. I mean, th- the author who wrote the article was part of the group who did the investigation. Mm. Basically says, they basically say there, there's no point looking for the official records because these girls were there off the books. Right. That seems awfully convenient. Yeah, on double secret probation. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> 
Uh, getting back to the art center, though, most of the other activity has been small stuff. Um, the most interesting bit, I think, is an invisible phantom who seems to like kissing people. <laughs> and that seems like the kind of ghost I can get behind or uh, under. Gross. <laughs> the ghost with two backs. Just stop here. <laughs> Just a dirty dog. Are we done in Fremantle? Almost. Okay. Um, I wanted to mention Rottenest Island, which is just off the coast of Fremantle. Rottenest. Rottenest. Rotted Nest Island. It's Australia. Gross. Everything in Australia in Australia is named like it's from a rejected kids show. <laughs> you know, it's Mullumbimby. Hey kids. Hey Mullumbimby. That's true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Mullumbimby and Toowoomba. They sound like a racist cop show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, Rottnest is uh, it's actually a really popular vacation spot. Every year, about half a million people go there for the white sandy beaches, wow. snorkeling, and I assume terrible drunken intercourse they regret in the morning. Naturally. Yeah, yep. uh, and there are a lot of anecdotal stories of hauntings on the island, and I couldn't really find any specific ones. And, and the reason I want to mention the island at all uh, is because one legend really pissed me off. Okay. And and that is a legend from Rottnest Lodge which is considered the premier accommodation on the island. Legend goes that a young housemaid once fell in love that over a century ago, was knocked up, and went to the mainland to tell her boyfriend. Uh, the boyfriend, of course, pulls the old new phone who dis routine, <laughs> and uh, the girl returns to Rado and kills herself. So it's a nice, tidy little ghost story. I think I know where this is going. Yep, it's yep. total bullshit. <laughs> Remember Doxa, the Croatian island everyone wants to forget? Yes. This is like that. Okay. The island most definitely has activity, but if there's going to be a reason for it, it's because it was a prison for aboriginals. Oh, no. And I mean prison in the way the Frio Arts Center was an asylum. Oh, my God. It was a dumping ground for people white folks didn't want to look at. And right. it was brutal. There are documented accounts of prison, prisoners being beaten to death. One man had part of his ear torn off by an official and thrown to a bird. Oh, Jesus. It was a living goddamn nightmare. Yeah. And in 1864, a quadrangular prison was built called the Quad. And it wasn't long before it was also an overcrowded hell. And I'm not going to get in the weeds on this, but I will post some links in the show notes for anyone who wants to read more. The gist of it is that from 1838 to 1904, people suffered incredible injustices there. Yeah. And at least 350 of them are, are believed to have died. And many of those graves are still unmarked. Wow. Yeah. And prisoners were still used to build infrastructure on the island until 1931. Oh. So the Australians are really big into their whole... Prisoner labor. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, and it, it, it gets better. Oh, okay. To top it all off, yeah. the quad was turned into luxury holiday accommodations as part of the Rotto Lodge. Seriously? Yes. They turned the prison into a hotel? Yeah, they turned Auschwitz into a little- A luxury hotel. A luxury hotel. Wow. Yeah. I found a, a news article from 2015 that said it was stopping, uh, but I don't know whether it was or not. But can you imagine? I mean, if nothing else, it's going to have such a dark energy. Well, that's it. Yeah. And so, is there haunting on Rottenest Island? I'm sure. Do I think it comes from some real-life version of Dirty Dancing? I do not. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, that was depressing. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was going to talk about the Pinjar Bridge, but now I'm just sad. Oh, th this might help. Okay. Uh, the guy who submitted the story about the screaming in a Perth backyard also told a story about how his father owned a house in Pinjara right. and how all his wine would suddenly be turned sour by the spirit in the house. <laughs> Apparently, no matter how much he bought, as soon as it came out of the house, it was vinegar. That is such a perfect middle-class bourgeoisie white guy haunting <laughs> experience. You can just see him standing there. Sweet mother of God, the wine's all sour, Sylvia. It's sour and the Carsons will be here any minute. Like, come on. Australian Jesus strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to turn you on and to go f*** yourself. <laughs> That's a terrible accent. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, my God. They don't God. deserve any better. I love that. The, how do you know that your house is haunted? 
the wine turned sour. And last, last week, an entire wheel of brie became moldy and overnight. <laughs> it's demons, I tell you. Damn you, Australian Jesus. <laughs> well, there's only one set of footsteps. That's where I was trying to get your girlfriend drunk. Oh, God. Just stop. <laughs> All right. Mm. See? Way better. Now tell us about Pinjara. All right. Well, it's a small town of six to 7,000 people about an hour south of Fremantle. There's a lot of history there, stuff like the massacre of Pinjara. Of course. Of course. Which, up until recently, was known as the Battle of Pinjara. Oh, don't they always spin it that way? Yes. yes. Until it was, it was, it actually was a long fight to get it called the massacre. Really? Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, most battles don't have one casualty on one side and- Everybody else everyone dead else on the other. on the other yeah, side. That's not a battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, and there's even Fairbridge, which is a farm school with the same kind of bad history as the other things we talked about. But we're going to be talking about the ghosts at Pinjar Bridge. Bring it. All right. There have technically been five Pinjar Bridges, all of which crossed the Murray River. The first was washed away in 1840 before it was even completed. The second was more successful. It was finished in 1842. Two years isn't bad. I mean, they've been building the bridge here for what, 250 years and it's still not done? 300 years, yeah. something in there, yeah. Um, hopefully our bridge lasts a little longer than theirs because it was also washed away by not, a flood this time in 1847. I'm not convinced. Did they use cheap Chinese steel? Oh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. No, they did. The answer is they did. Oh, okay, there you go. But I tell you, so that's two bridges they've had washed away. It's almost like you shouldn't use a slave army to build your bridges. <laughs> well, slaves did not build these. The soldiers and locals did. No, no shit. Yeah. So... But slaves built the next one. Ah, there it is. There it is. Um, convict labor is what they called it, but yeah, slaves. Uh, anyway, it was finished in 1853, and this was the bridge where the spirit was first seen. We know this because it was documented in the diary of a man named Thomas Scott. I did a little looking, and I couldn't find out exactly who this man was, though there's a well-known politician named Thomas Scott who was born in 1865, and this story was supposed to have happened between 1870 and 74, so it's probably not him. According to Scott's diary, he was in Pinjar visiting a friend and had occasion to do business with someone he refers to as a Mr. C, who he describes as, quote, a man of firm resolution who would laugh trifles in the face, end quote. Mm, trifle. Oh, I miss trifle. <laughs> I miss trifle. Also, Mr. C, I knew a guy who used to work as a janitor at a place called the Dirty C. Gross. Yep. So basically he wasn't someone- That's, not, that's a real thing. No, it's gross. Just stop. No, it is. No. It's a Carlton Club I, over in Esquimalt. Gross. Yeah. So basically, he wasn't someone you'd think of as a ghost guy. Right. Yet one night, Scott was visited, visited by Mr. C, who did not look well. Because they're Australian, Scott told Mr. C he looked like hot garbage, and Mr. C responded by saying, No wonder, sir, for we have seen her again. And this makes the sixth time of her appearance, and more distinct she appeared than she has on the former occasions. Of course, Scott had no idea what he was talking about and told him so. Mr. C responded by asking whether or not he'd heard the story of the ghost of Pinjara Bridge. Scott had, but being the rugged traveler type, he didn't think much of such things, and he told Mr. C he was surprised he put much stock in it. Mr. C responded that not only did he believe and had seen the apparition, but that it was his aunt, who had died suddenly seven years earlier on the bridge. According to Mr. C, the woman had been found on the bridge dead, but with no apparent cause. According to him, it could have been an apoplectic fit, uh, but I think it falls into the category of nonsense excuses old-timey medicine makes for not knowing what the hell is going on, Yeah, yeah. which is a popular diagnosis at the time. Yeah. Bad news, mate. You got the bang lang. <laughs> I am right now being actively eaten by an eight-foot-tall spider. It is incredibly painful. Yes, bang lang. It's a bad way to go. No worries. The horror gets you before the pain does. <laughs> Hooray. That's a spirit. <laughs> 
Pass me another Foster's. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Mr. C told Scott that one year after the death of his aunt, his uncle was out walking on a clear starry night when he saw the figure of his wife walking slowly across the bridge. The uncle ran home, told everyone, including Mr. C, what he had just seen, and as he finished his story, there were three knocks at the door. Did some nitwit pop up from his rascal scooter and say, it must be the devil mocking the trinity? <laughs> no. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> the family opened their front door. There was no one to be seen. Not only that, but there was nowhere for someone to hide. They closed the door, and just as they did, another three knocks, this time louder than the first. And then a voice recognized as belonging to his aunt called his uncle by name. The uncle immediately wrenched open the door, and standing there was what he describes as a stately figure, bright white, dressed in a loose dress, similar to the one she'd died wearing. You shall not pass! No, that is not the story. The <laughs> uncle called out her name, and she was gone. The whole family went to the bridge where the uncle had seen her before, but she was nowhere to be found. The family kept a vigil for three nights, and finally, on the third, they saw her again, but she disappeared when the uncle tried to approach her. Mr. C told Scott this repeated every year over the course of several nights and invited him out that night to view her. It wasn't a secret, either. When Scott asked if he could bring a friend, Mr. C told her to bring several if he wanted, the more the merrier. At this point, I'd be worried I was being lured into some kind of either cult thing or sex party. Bring friends. Throw your keys into this bowl. I'm not falling for that again. We both know you would never be invited to those parties. <laughs> you may be asked to leave a party well, like that. Well, yeah, but... they don't like you looking in the windows, apparently. <laughs> Continue. Anyway, Scott yeah. agreed to meet Mr. C and his people at the bridge for midnight and invited along his friend, Mr. M. Mr. M was open to the possibility of there being a spirit waiting for them at the bridge and said if there were so, they should leave it to its devices. He had a different suggestion. If it wasn't a ghost, however, quote, if it should turn out to be some spalpy night walking that wants wake and faith and will give him a good ducking of the river that runs under the old bridge, end quote. Spalpine means rascal for those of you who don't speak whatever language that was. God, Australia. <laughs> We're drowning pranksters seems reasonable. <laughs> so, everyone met at the bank of the river around 1130, and since this was rural Australia before the advent of television, I have to assume the entire town turned out. Scott described the scene so well, I'm going to read his words directly. The night was beautifully starlit with a full moon coursing in the heavens above. To the right of the bridge was a burying ground, on, on, and on either side this lay nothing but the dark, dense forest that looked in this lonesome hour like the very place for a ghost scene. Midnight came and went without any action, then quarter past midnight, and then one. Mr. M, disappointed he wasn't going to bust some ghosts or some heads, was just about to give up when he spotted her. By my soul, he said, there's somebody coming over the bridge. And there was, indeed, a figure in a long white dress suddenly in the middle of the bridge. The bridge was a wooden span some fifty yards long with a railing on either side. The men gathered at each end of the bridge and slowly inched towards the ghost. Why? Get her. It didn't work for the f***ing Ghostbusters. It's not going to work for these gomers. <laughs> well, that's exactly what they tried, of course, but by the time they met in the middle, she was gone. Of course. Every man had seen her and recognized her, but not a single one could explain it. Did they ever see her again? I don't know. It doesn't say. Uh, the bridge is gone now, though more flooding, and the current Shock. bridge <laughs> was constructed in 1954. It's still got an air about it, though, people say, and that's no surprise given they built it on reclaimed church land and bodies are still buried there. Jesus. Expansionism atop the bodies of the dead. Western culture is awesome. <laughs> it really is. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to our amazing researcher, Luke Greensmith, for helping us put this together. Yes, and a special thank you to my friend Emily in Perth, who put us onto the Pinjara Bridge and Rottnest Island, mm-hmm. and uh, also warned us off a couple places that were uh, more sizzles than they were steak. <laughs> uh, also, thanks to Rachel GW, who put us onto the idea of Australia in the first place. It is a really haunted place. I did not realize that, but it makes sense, right? You got a lot of angry convicts milling around. <laughs> yeah, that's You've right. got a strong indigenous community that was there before. Yep. There's going to be weirdness, just like Victoria. And I always forget it, how big a place it is. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you, apparently if you, it's, was it 7.5 million square miles? Wow. So it's, it's almost as big as a contiguous U.S. Wow. I mean, not including, if you, if you start including other places, then, you know, but if just the actual contiguous landmass. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the contiguous U.S. is without us, without Alaska and you know, Guam and, and all that Puerto shit. Puerto Rico, yeah. I think it's like eight point something million. Okay. So it's not much bigger. So it's a huge friggin' place. And there's a- Canada's still bigger. Yeah, well. (laughs) Cold out. (laughs) Then genuinely, most of it's uninhabitable because it's cold. Not the point. (laughs) I see. It's like Australia. Most of it's uninhabitable because the desert. Because it's awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, there's a ton of stuff too we didn't get to. Because there's the ghost town of Cossack, uh, the wreck of the Alchemos. Actually, the wreck of the Alchemos is a really interesting story. They've done that a bunch of Mysterious Universe. Um, it's a haunted ship, basically. Or it's not haunted, a cursed. Oh, Some cool. people believe it's cursed. Wow. Uh, there's also Woodman's Point. And, right. I mean, that's just in Western Australia. I mean, at some point, we'll have to look up other states, too. Very cool. And maybe one day we'll, we'll be able to go there. We'll build up a special Ghost Story Guys Go Down Under, but not like that episode. Uh, I don't know whether I like the sound of that. <laughs> I like the idea of going to Australia and doing an episode. Yeah, which I actually saw that David Polites from Missing 411 is giving a talk this weekend in Grey Harbor. Oh, in Washington. Yeah. Are you going? No, I I found out about it too late. Oh. But, uh, and I'm going, of course, got the big trip coming up, so I can't fit it in. But uh, I'd be interested to see. He said that he's bringing something to that presentation, which he hasn't shown publicly yet, which I, you know, great forum for it, somewhere in BF nowhere, Washington. (laughs) It's the body of a dead hooker. I found it in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) He just pulls up his his pant leg. He's like, what do you guys think this looks like? Should I get this checked out? <laughs> He's never talked about it publicly. That's right. That would I'm that's clever gay. marketing. <laughs> that's clever marketing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's smart. The one thing about Australia we didn't talk about. Well, of course we wouldn't. But I, I had never heard of until I started looking up Australia. Is fairy bread? <laughs> Jesus. Which is just white bread yeah. with butter and sprinkles. Yeah, it's garbage. I want to try that so bad. That sounds amazing. I could make you that right now. Why haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the, the iced buns in England. It's a hot dog bun with white icing on it, and they go mental for it. Iced buns? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. I, yeah, I would. I want that. Oh, Jesus. I'm, I, I haven't had dinner yet. I'm hungry. A hot dog bun and some Betty Crocker frosting, I'll make you one. <laughs> yeah, I'm sold. No hot dog in there, right? Because that's gross. Also, there's uncomfortable associations there I, I just I'm not equipped to deal with. No, it's just a bun. Okay. You're okay. Oof. So I think we're going to jump right into some listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. What do you got for us? Uh, so we had we had an email from Cherie recommending some music, which was very kind of her. She uh, listens to my radio show, uh, Largely the Truth, uh-huh. every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM and via the web at stokefm.com. That's sweet of her. It is sweet. Yeah, it's very <laughs> cool. Uh, we had a great email from Ashley, who was uh, gave us actually gave us some great feedback. Well, and I was bracing myself when I read that. <laughs> yeah, like, I want to give you some feedback, and I'm like, oh, God. Here we oh go. God, here we yeah. go. Here we go. And then it was just all nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was very cool. Was there any criticism in there? 
Uh, I think she said, uh, she said, I don't mind the ads. They were a little rehearsed before. Right. Uh, but they were sounding more relaxed lately. Yes. And what's funny is I told her that um, the ad from the last show was going to be the last ad for now. Right. Because the, the contract we signed with Studio was for six uh, six ads across three episodes. Right. But And I said, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to miss that because the ads were really just extra work. Yeah. Which they were, yes. which is partially why they sounded rehearsed. Because a lot of the time, I left until the very end. <laughs> yes, you and did. And then, really, like Monday, I'm, I'm in the studio going, "Okay, and, and these headphones," trying to come up with some nonsense. But uh, so I said, "Oh yeah, well, I think that's it for the time being." And then, of course, we were just contacted by Studio again, yeah. asking us to re up. So, which shocked me. Uh, me too. I thought once they heard the ads, <laughs> especially <laughs> would, the last they one, they would be like, "Hmm, thank you." <laughs> that's Never contact us again, and please don't mention our headphones anymore. That's right. They actually pay someone to break into our houses and steal steal the headphones yeah. back. Yeah, but yeah. no. So no, they, they said do more. Yeah, they want us to do another six six over three. So we'll probably do that, but uh, it won't be till April at least because I'm going away, and yeah. the last thing I want to do is have to worry about writing commercials. Thanks for writing in, Ashley. We appreciate the feedback. It's pretty cool, and I think I responded to her. Yes, yeah, of course I just said. Thank I did. God. <laughs> Finally. Says, says the guy who never responds. Oh, Spe- wh- speaking of, of. I always respond. Well, speaking of that, I actually found an email from the 7th of February that we had missed. Are from, you serious? Yeah, from Jeff. We've since responded to him. But uh, Jeff actually had a really great story about, which we're going to tell on a listener story episode, but uh, Jeff's from Newfoundland. Oh, I love his story. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. You loved it so much you didn't respond to him. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, me too, Jeff. But we, we did get back to him, and um, he was asking about some larger sizes for shirts. Oh, okay. And uh, what I've done, I told him that I was looking at setting up a Teespring store. Because Teespring has uh, larger sizes than Threadless. Okay. But they're front. They're not as... I prefer Threadless. Threadless right. allows a lot more customization than Teespring does. Teespring, right. it's streamlined to the point where you actually have less control. Right. And you can't have a store as much as you have individual campaigns for shirts. Oh. Yeah. So I, I have set up a campaign for a shirt with sizes up to 5X. Right. I'm going to post it to the Facebook page soon. But uh, in the meantime, yeah, Jeff, it's uh, it's in the process. Excellent. And again, thanks for your patience. Man. Yeah, it was a great story. I, I remember reading it and then talking to Brennan about it, and I guess I must have assumed <laughs> I'd written you back, so yeah, sorry it's, about it's, that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you again, Jeff. Uh, we also had some really cool fan art from Wanda. She sent us a number of designs, sort of variations on a really cool screaming skull. Right. And actually, I've put one of those up in the Threadless store. Nice. As a t-shirt design. Cool. So you can go on to the Threadless store and you can find that at uh, ghoststoryguys.threadless.com. And I've also set up a sticker campaign with one of her designs uh, with Teespring. But again, I haven't published it yet because I'm not, I think they're kind of expensive. Right. the, The price they've assigned to them. Uh, given what our base cost is versus what they want to charge, but there's no place for you to directly reduce that. Right. Again, with Threadless, I can manually adjust the costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rel- you know, I can't go below our cost, obviously, but right. I, I can adjust the costs. With Teespring, it seems to be more they assign a cost based on how many you expect to sell. Oh, and I'm not crazy about that, right? Because I, th- you know, I mean, the stickers they're talking about are big. You know, they're five by seven stickers, but I think six bucks for a sticker is a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, but thank you so much, Wanda, for sending those in. Yeah. And, um, we will, uh, she asked us not to credit her full name yet. She's trying to get her social media portfolio up, but as okay. soon as she does. We will pump it out. We will do that. And we had some, also some great artwork from Ruth and we're going to post that up on the Facebook page and on my Instagram. Cool. So thank you so much, Ruth. They're inspired by the opening to our show. So thank you so much, Ruth. And again, we'll be putting those up on the Facebook page and the 
in my Instagram. And if you ever want to, if anyone else wants to send in any fan designs, please feel free. We mm-hmm. really enjoy it. It's, it's just great knowing that people are out there enjoying this stuff. Definitely. <laughs> oh, I, I should say we also had some messages on SoundCloud from Jill, uh, just commenting on various things in the episodes. Uh, she was saying, actually on the listener episode, she was talking about Melanie's story about Fozzie the cat. Mm. And she was saying that she has her own cat that's pretty close to that, the old rainbow bridge. And yeah. uh, I'd say, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Joel, but uh, hope you go peacefully and and when the time comes, peacefully mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and without pain. Yeah, definitely. Best, best thing you can best thing you can hold for, I think. Yeah. We also had a message from Wendy via the Facebook page who told us that she was sitting at work uh, listening to the last episode and laughing about the murder number tipping point, <laughs> which was pretty fun. <laughs> so thank you as always for writing in, Wendy. We love hearing from you. Uh, and I think we had one more listener message this time from. Oh, from Kai. Kai bought some stuff from the page and, or from the Threadless store and he wanted to send him some stickers. So Kai, those are awesome. on their way to you. And thank you so much for ordering stuff, man. It was, uh, it's a sh- sh- it's kind of shocking to us that people actually want this stuff. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it, very cool. I have to say it is a pretty cool logo. It's a very cool. Like logo. when you send, send it to me that first week, I was like, that looks awesome. Yeah. So yeah. But, uh, no, so we absolutely appreciate it. And if you have any stories you want to share with us, always feel free to send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. Yep. Or you can contact us via the Facebook page. I think that's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, thank you to our special musical guests, Point Doom. Their song, Color of a Mirror, can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Music, all those places. And you can find them at SoundCloud, or sorry, rather, uh, you can find them on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Point Doom Official. Don't forget, of course, to rate and review us on iTunes. We have mm-hmm. about 20 ratings so far, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in touch, you can do so through the Facebook page. Again, we're on Facebook at Ghost Story Guys. You can send us, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, or you can send us a message via our social media, either um, I'm at Largely the Truth on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Ian's not really on social media. Well, Facebook. He's on Facebook. Yeah. If you want to add him on Facebook, you yeah. can. And uh, same with me if you want to add. I don't post much publicly, but uh, you're, welcome to, you're welcome to add me. <laughs> and, um, and feel free to message I me. Mean, we, we, we sort of take time to respond sometimes, but we will always get back to you. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if we don't, shoot us a message and say, hey, you son of a bitch, you ignored me. And, and it <laughs> usually just means we've, we just missed it. No. And always just let us know and we'll get right back to you. And uh, yeah, the next episode is going to be delayed a little bit because I am leaving here next week to go to, or sorry, I'm leaving here on Friday to go on vacation. You selfish best. I know. I'm a monster. Monster. So it will probably be about two or three days late. Or maybe I'll just do an episode while you're gone on my own. I want to see that. And I'll just bring in some actually interesting people (laughs) and talk to them and you'll come back and be like, hi, we have so many listeners. I'll be like, I don't know, weird. I want to see you use audition. That's I want to see you no, figure out how. I, well. No, it'll be just directly spoken to, recorded, posted. Oh, oh, no editing. One take. Well, I don't need. That. I'm not the one who needs editing. Oh, I'm gonna kick you in the penis. <laughs> you get a kick in the penis. You get a kick in the penis. Everyone, look under your chairs. It's it's a kick in the penis. No, it'll just be flawless first time. Right. Yeah. Because that's why I roll. That Burger King has made you delirious. <laughs> You can find Ian's book, Victoria's Most Haunted, everywhere fine books are sold. <laughs> and mine, of course, A Strange Little Place, is also available. Supplies are dwindling. Yeah, true <laughs> enough. And I do a radio show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM. You can tune in at uh, stokefm.com. And that's just a weekly music show where I kind of play the soundtrack of my lo- of the previous week. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And I think it's going to do it. Yeah. Again, we'll be back in a little over two weeks. And uh, until next time, into the darkness we go.
Yes. Yeah. We know. We know. Yeah. There is no doubt of this. The only good Irishman. No, no, no. And that's my turn to say no. Is a good guy. Okay. That's better. I got two stars here for you. You son of a bitch. <laughs> like I deadlifted 300 pounds the other day. That sounds. My legs hurt so much. Yeah, that sounds kind of dumb. It, yeah, that's. It hurt. That was an omen for the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Not the point. It's just like, it's like swatting away a little toy. No. No. <laughs> um, what is it? It's requirement? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, but it, that wasn't what I was going for. That's why I'm, I tripped up. I'm so dumb. Um, <laughs> Would you like to tell it again? Yes. Okay. I did, however, manage to get a great video of your fish making out. So. I know. That was disturbing. <laughs> Although, it was funny and I liked the musical company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was good. They haven't done that since, by the way. Really? Nope. Bren just inspires the mouth fighting in the fish. <laughs> oh, hey there, little fish. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> this Th- is hard to read. Yeah, it's because it's badly written. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> God, this is brutal. <laughs> that's not even Australian. That was pretty good. Oh, God. That's one's I, waking. I love how you got spalpeen, but you had a problem with night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to take my watch and this thing off, because clicks on the table every f- no if you weren't so italian you wouldn't just slam your hand into the <laughs> ravioli lasagna i'm gonna beat you to death <laughs> yeah one of your mob buddies <laughs> yeah well yeah 